This is the Eurasian Enigma from the Davis Center. The Davis Center. The Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. I think a lot of people realized at that point, those who were on the Maidan, that there was there was no way back. They they had to fight because they leave the square. There would be no future for their children and for them in that country. So they decided to fight until the very end. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Eurasian Enigma. My name is Chris Martin. Today we're talking with Alina Nikolayenko, who is an associate professor of political science at Fordham University. Her work focuses on comparative democratization, social movements, political behavior, and youth in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. Thanks so much for being with us today, Elena. Thank you for having me. So your most recent work looks specifically at women's involvement in the protest movement that was on the Euromaidan uh, in Ukraine in 2014. What made you interested in looking at that particular episode? Well, uh, the Euromaidan uh, was a very remarkable episode of contention in Ukrainian history. Ukrainians have been protesting uh, for many years uh, since the collapse of communism in 2000-2001 um, uh, against the uh, incumbent president uh, Leonid Kuchma and uh, during uh, the fraudulent uh, presidential elections in 2004. Uh, but uh, what sets apart the Euromaidan is uh, an escalation in violence on the part of the state. And uh, also, it was um, a very remarkable example of human dignity, courage, and persistence uh, in fighting for social change uh, despite uh, high stakes of participation in the protest campaign. So... Can you compare or contrast the role of women or how they were involved in the Euromaidan that might be different from what you saw in their protesting against the Orange Revolution in 2004 or in even earlier protest movements around the collapse of communism? What was different? Was there something different about how they were engaged or why they came out to protest in the Euromaidan than what you had seen uh, previously? One of the things that caught my attention was uh, that uh, women uh, became more visible during the Euromaidan. They participated actively in the Orange Revolution. They provided uh, a lot of support for protesters. Uh, they were protesting themselves, uh, but they, they were not very vocal in um, championing uh, women's rights and gender equality. Uh, and uh, in 2013, 2014, women really made a serious effort uh, to try and challenge um, uh, the dominant public discourse and stress the idea that they were not just the helpers, they were also makers of the revolution, they were active participants in it. So what is the foundational narrative? Why, what was the dominating thing that you saw in your research about the motivation behind why women came out in such numbers? Because I think you indicated that nearly half or, or at least half of the protesters on the Euromaidan were women. And it was a contentious protest. It was not a peaceful protest throughout. One of the findings that emerges from my research is that uh, the notion of motherhood played a very important role in bringing women into the street. A lot of the protesters whom we interviewed, uh, myself and my um, co-author, Maria de Casper, an undergraduate student at Fordham University, pointed out that they were concerned about the future of their children and 
and their grandchildren. That's how they primarily explained uh, their decision to get engaged in a, in a protest campaign. They felt that they needed to protect uh, the young generation uh, from all the all the dirt, all the corruption, uh, all the violations of human rights uh, that uh, were happening in Ukraine on a large scale, especially under the presidency of Viktor Yanukovych. So I think that somebody might say logically um, that women may be involved less in protest movements because either they aren't they aren't as free as men because they have responsibilities that keep them in the home in raising children and being home for children, or that there's more uh, more fear around getting involved because their own personal safety and health mm -hmm. is more important in order to sustain the home. Um, so were you surprised by this effect that you saw that motherhood was sort of a dominant narrative about why it drove people to the streets? Did it surprise you? Uh, no, actually it didn't, uh, because uh, this is a recurrent finding in other studies on women's activism. In Russia, for example, one of the most prominent NGOs, uh, uh, the uh, Soldiers' Mothers of Russia, was uh, formed by women, uh, and they tried to use um, the concept of motherhood to press for the protection of soldiers' rights, especially during the Chechen wars. And uh, we can see how the state recognizes uh, this as a threat to the stability of the regime. And this NGO in particular was uh, labeled by Russian authorities as a foreign agent for receiving some Western grants. And, you know, there are multiple examples uh, uh, from Latin America and Eastern Europe, where women uh, mobilized uh, and used the notion of motherhood to explain why it's important and to recruit new members. What were the roles that women were playing in the protest? Mm -hmm. You referenced a little bit that sometimes through previous protests, they may have been in more supporting roles, and you even in this conversation, um, supporting their husbands initially. What what were the women doing on these sort of front lines of this contentious political process? Women uh, assumed um, a wide range of tasks in this protest campaign, and a lot of them had an issue with their description as merely cooks and nurses. They were responsible also for a lot of logistics, uh, managing uh, the donation of uh, clothes, uh, uh, finding shelter for out-of-town protesters, uh, distributing information about uh, the disappeared uh, or the injured. Some women even organized a series of lectures on the protest site uh, because uh, it was a long protest campaign. It lasted for three months, and uh, a lot of uh, people stayed there permanently for the most part. Uh, so they wanted to provide some leisure time, if you will, for them, and also raise the awareness of some social issues. Uh, so they brought some speakers uh, to, to Maidan. And uh, moreover, uh, a few women decided to organize a women's squad to patrol barricades because they wanted to send a signal that women can do any kind of job and the barricades do not belong just to men. Mm -hmm. They are also capable of doing it. So you reference in your work something, and I don't know if I'm saying right, Berenia? 
Berehenia. Um, so you talk about this notion of Berehenia and its impact on women's motivation to protest. Can you explain a little bit about that, about the, what the cultural notion of that is? Yes, uh, um, the concept of Berehenia is very popular in uh, the Ukrainian um, public discourse. It's um, god, a pagan goddess of health, of family, and it literally means a female protector. Uh, so women are often constructed in the public discourse as uh, protectors of their family and, by extension, their country. But furthermore, in the Ukrainian context, uh, it uh, refers to the women's role as um, guardians of Ukrainian culture, especially during the Soviet times uh, when uh, it was under assault. So the concept of uh, Berehenia assigns uh, very traditional gender roles to women and uh, assumes uh, uh, that their, their place is primarily at home, you know, as caretakers. Uh, and, um, and that's why I think a lot of uh, feminists um, have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Was there a strong sort of feminist push to bring women out to the Euromaidan protests? Interestingly, uh, the Euromaidan attracted a very diverse body of people. Uh, and uh, feminists... Um, uh, were present there, but when I interviewed participants uh, in the protest campaign, women rarely mentioned gender equality as a primary factor for their involvement in the Euromaidan. Uh, what happened uh, during the protest campaign shaped their awareness uh, of uh, the gender identity and uh, made them more feminist in a way. You know, they developed a feminist consciousness in the course of the protest campaign in response to all the sexism that they have seen on the street and uh, on the protest site and in the media. Uh, so they began to kind of reassert in new ways uh, their newly found uh, feminist um, consciousness. Did women begin to push for more reforms that would allow for greater gender equality? Did they begin to have a platform that advocated for equal pay between women and men, for um, increased opportunities in some way? Was there any kind of platform that emerged from their protests that addressed something that would be more considered a a feminist uh, platform? Um, I think during the protest campaign, uh, they focused on rather small number of issues uh, and uh, gender equality was not at the top of the agenda uh, for, for many women of course not for everybody and then uh, in the aftermath of the Euromaidan some women uh, became involved in conflict uh, in eastern Ukraine uh, and began to you know research women's rights uh, in, in, in a different way. Mm-hmm. I hope this is okay I wanted to read one quote oh, from yeah, sure. one of the people that you interviewed mm-hmm just so that our listeners would be able to hear directly from uh, one of the women that was protesting on the front lines of the Maidan. This is from Oksana, who's a 24-year-old protester, and she said, Many women, including myself, participated because they understood that we, womankind, bear responsibility for our children and our husbands. Women understand that they could do things that were irreplaceable and necessary, even if men did not recognize it. There's a certain maternal instinct in all women, and I think women deeply understand their social role and public needs and perform it even if they get nothing in return. Is this fairly representative of what you were hearing from te- from uh, protesters, particularly around their feeling that it was this um, sort of internal 
mothering instinct, um, whether they had children or not, whether they saw themselves with future children or for their grandchildren, that, that brought them out. And, and she mentions at the end, even if you get nothing in return, what do you think they got in return for their participation in this protest movement? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, that women uh, were more visible during the Euromaidan than during the Orange Revolution. So there has been an emerging body of research on women's participation in protest events in Ukraine. So they caught the attention of Western scholars and uh, journalists. There have been a flurry of articles in the popular media about them too. And there was a documentary at the Davis Center on this uh, topic. So they, they managed to put this issue on the public agenda. But as far as policy change is concerned, I think it uh, comes very, it's a very, very slow process. And uh, when uh, the government uh, was, the new government was formed after the 2014 presidential election, it uh, included only two women. They were given the posts of the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Health. So, in a way, uh, the new government reinforced uh, the same gender stereotypes that existed before, because traditionally, healthcare and education sectors uh, are dominated by women. Uh, they are often not promoted to the positions of power, but they make up a large share of rank-and-file workers in the sectors. You anticipated my very next question was, how does this actually change things on the ground in the post-protest movement? Do you think that the protest movement will have an impact on women's desire to enter into political posts? And do you think that the government or the, the, the people, the public, will be more receptive to female candidates based on sort of the rising role they saw of women in the Euromaidan? I think in general, a lot of uh, Ukrainians are receptive to the idea of a woman politician, and we can uh, make such a conclusion based upon the popularity of um, Julia Tymoshenko, former prime minister and former presidential candidate. Um, in 2010, she was uh, um, a front runner. Uh, I mean, she she uh, and uh, Viktor Yanukovych got approximately the same amount of votes uh, in the second round of the presidential election. I think maybe she, that she still and has some um, presidential ambitions. But uh, uh, putting aside uh, the case of Julia Tymoshenko, a lot of women prefer to stay out of politics uh, because in Ukraine politics is widely seen as a dirty business uh, and only people without any scruples uh, uh, enter this uh, business uh, I, I, it, it, because it's, it, it's not really public service in Ukraine. Uh, there are uh, numerous um, cases uh, of uh, corruption uh, inside, I mean, most uh, the, it's a it's a widely held belief that uh, most Ukrainian politicians are corrupt, uh, and uh, I think uh, it's a very fair description of of them, unfortunately. Uh, so uh, women are more active um, outside the government uh, in the uh, third sector, in the NGO sector, rather than inside the government. Um. With this idea that there's probably more opportunity to make change 
in an industry, in the nonprofit sector, in the grassroots, um, on issues that are most important to them. I think that um, a lot of women are trying to, you know, yeah, pressure uh, the government to adopt reforms, but the government itself is not very open to opening up uh, to women, uh, to giving them positions, uh, to placing them in positions of power. Now, are there any parallels that we can draw between the Euromaidan and, and the sort of burgeoning protest movements that we're seeing here in the United States, one of which the, the Women's March that happened in, in January, obviously was really focused on having women be the large part of the conversation. So do you see any parallels between the two movements or anything that we could learn mm -hmm. in the United States from the, the long tradition of protest that we see in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet states? A striking similarity between the two uh, movements is uh, the participation of multiple generations in protest events. If you look at uh, images of uh, the march in Washington, D.C., you will see uh, young uh, college students uh, who didn't maybe have a, a lot of protest experience before, and older women who participated in the civil rights movement uh, and, and the Viet anti-Vietnam uh, war protests. Uh, so they all coming together to have their voice heard. And similarly, in Ukraine, you could observe during the year of Maidan how people, women of different ages, um, came together. There were veterans uh, of the revolution on, on the granite that, ha that was uh, held in uh, 1990, in October 1990. Uh, there were participants in the Orange Revolution. There trying to share their expertise in nonviolent uh, action with the younger cohort of protesters, um, university students, and others, like just youth. Anything we can learn from each other? Or are we all pretty much, you know, like you said, listening to the older generation, seeing what we can accomplish through nonviolent means? Is, is that the best place to start? I think that there are a lot of advantages uh, to nonviolent resistance. It has a higher degree of legitimacy in inside the country and also in the international community. Uh, also, I think that it's um, nearly impossible for ordinary citizens uh, to overturn the regime, win this battle with the help of weapons just because the, the, the government... Uh, has uh, so much more military capabilities to suppress it. Uh, so I think uh, in general, you know, th there are a lot of advantages uh, to civil resistance non uh, through nonviolent means. In uh, Ukraine, toward the very end, uh, uh, the campaign became very violent. And it was, uh, you know, for the first time when protesters were killed in downtown Kiev uh, since uh, the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Did that make women hesitate from continuing their role in the Maidan when they saw things had turned violent, or did they still stay out on the front lines? I think a lot of people realized at that point, those who were on the Maidan, that there was there was no way back. They they had to fight because they would be decimated anyway. They leave the square. There would be no future for their children and for them in that country. So they decided to fight until the very end. And women stayed. And, and a lot of women stayed, yeah. Uh, um, the reason why there is uh, some contestation 
as far as um, the number of women who participate in the protest in mind is that uh, a lot of times men uh, turned away women from barricades. They didn't want women to put their lives uh, on the line. You know, they wanted to protect them. That was kind of the the way of thinking, yeah. yeah. And women uh, pushed back against it, uh, and particular women's squad, because uh, they felt that as uh, adults, they had a right to decide for themselves uh, what they should do at that particular moment in Ukrainian history. And uh, they had the full control over their bodies. So women had to you know, fight not against the external enemy, the government, but also against the dominant gender norms in Ukrainian society. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Um, I think there are striking parallels between what we've seen in Ukraine and what we're seeing um, rising in the United States and a lot for, for all of us to learn. So thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you.